Really uh, just enjoying the series that we're going into. It is called Jesus, the God-man who dwelt among us. And the purpose of this series is to truly uh, learn about who Jesus was. We, we started off in the book of Acts, and we went through the book of Galatians and learned a lot about the gospel, its implications, making sure that we get it right. And then we wanted to learn about who this Jesus was, kind of get a really good survey of his life. And so this month, we're really focusing on his humanity. Uh, last month, we looked at his parables, uh, and then in August, we're going to look at his friendship. So this month, we're looking at his humanity because we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And so that means he experienced everything that we experience as, human. he, he, as humans. He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. He, he experienced heartbreak. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about him experiencing temptation. Uh, I'm really excited about this topic I really believe God wants to speak to us today because temptation is something that speaks to everybody. There is no point in your Christian walk where you don't stop facing temptation. It is something that comes at us at, on a daily basis, and, and sometimes uh, we can be in our walk with God for many, many years uh, and still struggle uh, fighting off temptation in certain areas of our life. And then there's some people here that may be here for the first time and realize that, hey, there's been things that I've just never been able to say no to. Uh, and, and temptation comes, and God gives us the ability to say no to them. And so we can learn about how to be empowered to say no to certain things in our life. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus. And we're going to be uh, sitting in, in Matthew chapter 4 today. But before we get into that, I want to give you some context into where we are, uh, where we're coming from. So in, in Matthew 4, right before this happens... Jesus, we talked about last week, his kind of preteen years and what it was like for Jesus to grow up. Uh, but now Jesus has just come on the scene. He is just starting his ministry. He is 30 years old. It's pretty amazing the things that Jesus accomplished. He, he's 30 years old. In our culture, you're still a young adult uh, trying to figure out who you are in life. But here is uh, Jesus as a 30-year-old, uh, literally about to change the world. Um, and so as he starts his ministry, before he starts, a couple of things happened. Uh, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And during his baptism, something crazy happens that doesn't happen during anybody else's baptism. The audible voice of God is heard. And he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and dwells on Jesus, signifying him being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so right after this happens in Matthew 4 verse 1, it starts off with the word then. So I want you to understand that we are just coming out of the baptism of Jesus and it starts off here in Matthew 4 verse 1 to 2 we're going to read. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be too. Um, and so what happens here is the, the, this thing that sticks out to me right here is the role of the Holy Spirit. It says that 
We, we just kind of got off of Jesus' baptism. He gets the, the, the dove lands on him, signifying him being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what is the first thing that the Holy Spirit causes him to do? What? It says he was led of the Spirit. Luke says he was full of the Holy Spirit to what? Be led into the wilderness. Who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? Right? We, we sing a lot of songs and we pray a lot of prayers. God, I want to be full of your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and dwell on me. We, we pray for the spirit to baptize us. We pray for the spirit constantly to fill us. When we went through Galatians, we read a lot about how the Holy Spirit, we need to walk by the spirit and be led by the spirit. And yet the first thing that we read here that the spirit leads Jesus to do is to go on a 40-day fast with no food in the desert, in the wilderness. Father, lead me by the Spirit. That, I want that prayer to take on a new uh, connotation for you this morning, that when you pray to be led by the Spirit, that you really mean, Father, lead me by your Spirit. Because a lot of times when we pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us, we're asking him to lead us into blessing, into our calling, into our purpose, into all these other things. Uh, but what we're doing is say, we're, we're, what we're really saying is, Holy Spirit, lead us, and this is where I want to be led. So who is truly leading us in that moment? But it's important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit and what kind of things that he will lead us into. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says this, and you shall remember the whole way of the law the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that, you, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you should keep his commandments or not. See, something, the role that the Holy Spirit plays into our life a lot of times is he is the one that leads us into temptation. He is the one that leads us into the wilderness. He is the one that leads us, or here in this case, Jesus, into this 40-day period with no food into fasting. And why? Because what God wants to do is he wants to reveal what is inside of our hearts through where he leads us. He wants to humble us. You know, if you've, if you've never been humbled, I pray that the Holy Spirit leads you during this service. I'm going to be praying that for a lot of people today. Just be, Holy Spirit, lead them. Every time I meet a prideful person, Holy Spirit, lead them. Holy Spirit, lead me. <laughs> but... The Spirit leads us into temptation, into the wilderness. Why? Because God is trying to help reveal to us what is on the inside of our hearts. To truly show who we are. To humble us. Humbling is not fun. Uh, I, I've been leading ministry a long time since I was uh, honestly a kid. I'd look at people that now and say, you're a kid. But I was leading, I, I grew up as a PK, a pastor's kid. We're the worst breed. Um, and, but one of the good things that came with it is I was able to, you know, my dad discipled me since I was a kid. So I started in the ministry young. And there were many times where I thought I had it all together. Where I, I told my dad, I told my mom, you guys don't know how to lead ministry yet. You've been doing this for three decades, longer than I've been alive, but you don't know how to do it right. And so I would say, I'm going to show you how to do it, and then just fall flat on my face. Like flat on my, after services, just going home and crying. Just that's how bad it was. And these were times where the Holy Spirit was humbling me. And 
And now I can look back and say he was leading me into this time. Whereas back then I thought, God, where are you? But he was right there. But what's important for us to understand about the Holy Spirit is he will lead us maybe to temptation, but he is not the one tempting us. And that's, that's an important distinction. Uh, and we're going to keep reading in Matthew 4, verse 3. It says, And the tempter Satan, or, or Satan is the tempter, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So we got to understand that Satan is the one that comes, and he is the one who is actually doing the tempting. God does not tempt us. And we're going to continue to unpack what that temptation looks like throughout the rest of this message. But what's interesting about this temptation that, that Satan comes and, and kind of puts before Jesus is that this temptation is entirely in the realm of possibility. And it doesn't seem that bad either. Jesus has been fasting for a long time. He's hungry. And Satan comes and he says, you're hungry. It's very factual facts right there. Yes, this is truth. And he says, because you're hungry, you have the power to do this. Take this rock and transform it into a loaf of bread and eat. You can solve your hunger issue. And what is Jesus' response? In verse 4 he says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds with scripture, and that's going to be key. We're going to keep on coming back to that. He, re he responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. What I love about Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, is Jesus is even quoting scripture in context, which I love, because as Christians, we love quoting scripture out of context. That, that's a whole other uh, message. I'm, I'm not going to dive too deep into that. But in, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And what's happening in this verse is the, the Israelites were complaining about being hungry in the desert. And this was God's response to them. Uh, you can see the parallel that's happening between what happened with Jesus and what happened with Israel. See, if we understand Jesus, we understand that he had victory in every place we have failed. And we can look to his victory and realize that through him we have victory over sin, over death. And we can see how, in his example here, over temptation. But why can't Jesus turn this stone into bread? What, what's so bad about it? It says a few things. Jesus would be demonstrating mistrust and the Spirit's ability to lead him because the Spirit led him, meaning he told him, you're going to fast now. So if Jesus ate, he would say, well, I'm not trusting your leading, even though naturally, physically, it may make sense for me to eat right now. If he does it, he would be mistrusting the guidance of the Spirit. It would be disobedience on Jesus' part. And ultimately, he would be worshiping self-needs over obeying God. He would be worshiping his self-needs over God's command in his life. And what Jesus is doing here is he's demonstrating true nourishment. It's not food, even though his belly tells him he needs it. I'm sure he was hangry right now. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I get to that point after not eating for a few hours after service, you know? Like, I, I'm, give me food, 
We have a routine. Like my, Heather knows what to order me after service. We go to Bay Thai a few blocks away. I get pineapple fried rice with chicken and a Thai iced tea. It's amazing. It's great. I'm watering now thinking about it. I feel like I'm, I'm in sin right now. But Jesus is demonstrating his true nourishment is not coming from what this world or his belly says. It's coming what? From God, from Scripture, what God gives him. And so first temptation pass, the next temptation comes. It says in Matthew 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, liking what Satan is doing here, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's, the temptation here is with identity. He says, if you are the son of God, And what's interesting is how the devil begins to, he he starts to play the game that Jesus played, right? First, the devil says, if you want food, just turn this stone into a loaf of bread and voila, you can eat. You won't be hungry anymore. So what does Jesus do? He responds with scripture. So Satan says, you want to play that game, buddy? Come on, let's play that game. And he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus, but Satan does something that's vastly different from what Jesus does. He quotes scripture out of context. Because Psalm 91 in context is the psalmist talking about God's protection of Israel, yet Satan twists it to be a self-centered promise for Jesus. What Satan is doing is he is literally asking Jesus to commit attempted suicide. And he's twisting the scripture of God to try to get Jesus into this mindset of, oh, you have to prove God's love. Are you really who God said you are? Are you really, if you are, the son of God? See, a lot of times temptation will come and it will tempt you in the form of trying to confuse who you are and your identity. And we see so much identity crisis going on in today's day and age. Because we are tempted constantly to question who has God made us to be? And we give in to these questions. And we think, ah, am I really who God has sent me? Am I really his son? Am I really his daughter? Is is he really my father? Does he really care? Does he really love? Why is there evil in the world? Why, Why do things happen? Constantly questioning our identity, who God is in us, what he said in his word. And after, what does Jesus respond? He says this in verse 7. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Second time, again, Jesus responds with scripture. What I love here about what Jesus is doing is he's not responding with wisdom. And if you learn about Jesus and you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you realize about Jesus is he was very wise. 
When it was time to answer people with wisdom, he answered them with wisdom. The Pharisees constantly tried to trip Jesus up. They would ask him trick questions, constantly saying, all right, we're going to catch him in public. But Jesus would always foresee what they were saying and answer with even wiser questions and always throw them off their game. But when temptation comes, he does not answer with wisdom. He answers with scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 where God laid down a law to Israel, do not test me, trust me. See, Israel, they were going through the wilderness for 40 years and they didn't believe that God was gonna provide for them. And so they made Moses test God by making him strike a rock so that water could come out to perform a miracle. And God gave them the water, but after he gave them the water, he said, do not do this again. Do not test me. Instead, trust me. And so Jesus quotes that to Satan. And we have to kind of understand something here that the fight against temptation is one with scripture. It is not one with Facebook sayings. It is not one by looking in the mirror and repeating after me, the best is yet to come. That is not scripture. That is not how you win against temptation. How temptation is fought is how Jesus fights it. It is remembering the word of God, the thing that nourishes you, the thing that feeds you, the thing that brings you life. And when Satan comes and he tries to twist your identity, when he comes and he tries to twist scripture, when he comes and he tries to make normal outcomes actually make you disobey God, what you do is you rely on the word. And it's knowing the Bible and knowing God in the midst of temptation that truly shuts down the lies of the enemy. Second temptation passed. Third temptation comes, Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9. says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This is the final temptation. There's three temptations that Jesus deals with specifically here. And the final one is this. Satan becomes blatant. He says, bow down and worship me. In scripture, we see that Satan is actually given temporary rulership over the earth. And what Satan offers Jesus here is he offers a shortcut to God's promise for Jesus. He says, what was given me, I will give to you this rulership over the earth. But it was a false promise. It wasn't a true promise. Because Christ's rulership at this moment would truly be a rule under Satan. It wouldn't be a full rule. And Jesus was also already promised this from God the Father. He said, you will sit 
at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He was given these promises. It says in the Bible, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But what what Satan does here is he offers Jesus a shortcut. He says, I will give this to you right now if you bow down. And a lot of times the promises that Satan will offer is the same promise that God has given us, yet it's a shortcut and it's a false promise. Because if Jesus accepted this, he wouldn't have had to be crucified. He wouldn't have had to suffer. He wouldn't have had to be mocked. He wouldn't have had to be beaten by the Romans. He wouldn't have had to go through three years of hard ministry, not knowing where he was going to sleep next, being betrayed by one of his closest friends, being with the crowds coming and going as they pleased, even after he fed them. He wouldn't have had to go through these three years of brutal hardship that would end with a culmination of him being crucified by the very people he was coming to save. It all could have been done away with if he just said yes at that moment. And that's the temptation. The temptation is, let's take the shortcuts. You can make more money You just need to lie a little bit at your job to get there. You can be happy right now. You can have joy right now. If you just smoke this blunt with your friends, you'll be good. If you gossip about that person that really annoyed you today at work or your family member, it's going to make you feel better. You want companionship? You want love? Well, here's sex outside of marriage. You can just have sex with this person. Just call them up. You know that booty call number that you have on your phone? That whenever you need that person for that false sense, there they are. See, I even got background music for that one. Right, just just go on that website. You know how to make the browser private. Nobody will ever see your history. You want companionship, you want love, you want that feeling of being wanted, of being desired. Just, Just go on real quick. And what is it? It is a false sense of promise. Where true companionship experienced through marriage, we get through quick swipe left on Tinder. Quick, I just got to put the private private browser. Nobody will come in. See, what Satan offers is he offers what seems like the same thing that God is offering us, and he takes it and twists it, and he makes a false representation, a shortcut to that that actually leads to our death in the end, that actually kills us that actually doesn't have our best intentions in mind. And Jesus responds to this last temptation. He says this, says, And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Again, Jesus quotes scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. You know what? As I was preparing this message this week, I realized that Jesus kept quoting Deuteronomy. And so I read Deuteronomy. Uh, I didn't read the entire book of Deuteronomy. I started reading Deuteronomy. And I just realized how amazing it is to sit in a place like Deuteronomy where most of us have never even heard of that book, like Deuteronomy. <laughs> what is that? Are those the books that you skip in the beginning because they're not exciting to read? Yes, that is Deuteronomy. But Jesus is constantly quoting from him. But this time he also shows his authority over Satan. And he commands him to leave and Satan has to flee. See, temptation comes in this passage. It comes at, not when Jesus is kind of at the pinnacle of his ministry. It's not like, oh, you just rose from the dead? Let's throw you some temptations. It's not at that, that high point. Temptation comes here in his weakest moment. He's been fasting. He's been alone. He's been in the desert, the wilderness. And the enemy comes. And when he comes... It comes in many forms. Sometimes it looks like wisdom. You're hungry. You haven't eaten in a while. Here, eat some bread. <laughs> right? If you've ever fasted before, you know that temptation. I can tell you, I have lost this temptation many, many, many a time. I'm just so angry at everybody when I haven't eaten. I just got to eat something so I stop screaming at people. Right? That, that is my justification when I get this temptation. Right? It looks like wisdom. It makes sense. But it leads us into disobedience. Sometimes it messes with us internally. Is God really who he said he is? Are you really who God said you were? Are you sure about that? Maybe you've felt God. You've sensed his call. You've sensed his presence, but maybe it's, it's been a while since you've sensed that. It's been a while since you've been with him, since you've been alone with him, since you've been able to experience him and his fullness in your life. And Satan comes, was that real? Are you really saved? Are you really going to heaven? Don't you forget who you are? You're a thief, you're a liar, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're a drug abuser, you're an alcoholic, you're, you're, you're all these different things. He says, don't you know I know who you are? He messes with us internally, asking us questions at weak points, trying to trip us up. Sometimes it's blatant. Bow down and worship me. Sometimes it's it, what's before us we know is sin. We know what we are about to do is worship of idolatry. We know what we are about to do is, is set God aside in our life and say, you are no longer on the throne room of my heart. You are no longer king of my life. I am going to go worship this thing right now. 
That can be worship of entertainment. It can be worship of money. It can be worship of sex. It can look worship of of grandkids, of children, of family. It can look at all these different things, but we know that it's blatant and we know what we are doing is wrong. Sometimes he doesn't try to mask it, to throw wisdom behind it. He just catches us off and he says, worship me. And we bow. Because the thing that he offers us gives us that momentary satisfaction, but if you do it long enough, you realize that it begins to slowly kill you, lead to the death of you, destroy you. I remember this dream I had when I was younger. I was just kind of really committed my life to God. It was a couple of years in, and... I haven't had many, I would say, prophetic dreams, but this was one of them. And I remember in this dream that I was in a room and this big, this huge guy comes in. I mean, just like massive guy. I'm not the biggest guy in the world, so, you know, a 6'6", fully buff dude coming in is a big guy to me. And he just punches me in the face and I just fall on the floor and I try to get up. He hits me again. He picks me up and he throws me. And while he starts to beat me up, I look in the other room and I see all my friends. I see my brother, I see my friends from church, and I start screaming at them, help, help me, I'm getting beat up right now, I'm getting beat up, help me. But they keep, they're playing, they're having fun, they're laughing, they're having a good time and they can't hear me. And what happens is this continues to happen. They, they leave the house and they get in a car and I get thrown out the window. I have very graphic dreams, so... <laughs> playing too many video games. And he starts beating me up in the street, and I see my friends go by in the car, and while they're going by, I'm screaming, help, help me, please, don't you see what's happening right now? And they're laughing, ha we're having a good time, you know, everything is good. They, and it's like they're ignoring me, they can't hear me. And then, it, I, again, it keeps on happening, and I, and I woke up just sweating, and as soon as I woke up, God spoke to me. And he said, you have been relying on other people to fight your battles for you. I understand what it means to have temptation beat me. I think we all kind of understand that in this This dream was the epitome of my life at that moment that I had been struggling so much with temptation. It was beating the tar out of me. It was winning every single time. But I wasn't going to the right place to fight it. I was entering into this battle with no weapon. And a lot of times what I've noticed is that If we believe in God, when temptation comes, we are not fighting temptation with the tool that God has given us. And what happens is we're battered by it, we're constantly abused by it, we're constantly beaten by it, and we look at Jesus and we say, God, I thought that you have defeated sin. I thought you have defeated this stuff. How is it that I am constantly bound by it? How is it that when temptation comes my way that I can't help but say yes every time? But if we look at scripture, we see something. I'm going to read a familiar passage, Ephesians 11, verse 17, and just 
Read it with me. There's something important here. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God. What is Jesus constantly using to fight temptation. He is using the word of God. He is using scripture. And what does Paul say here in Ephesians? What is our weapon to combat the enemy? What is the tool, the thing that we have been given by God to use to fight off temptation? It is the word of God. Our sword as believers is the word of God. See, we have been fighting with our hands. We've been fighting with the help of others, and we've relied on that. We've been fighting using all these different tools and different things in our life. And when temptation comes, what we should be fighting with, with the sword that we are armed with, is God's word. But we are in a culture that is so illiterate to his word that we instead rely on Facebook memes to fight the temptations of the enemy. We think, oh, this is a good saying today. I'm going to try to use this saying to get through the day. Hopefully it will help me in temptation. Or I heard this one preacher, he said this thing once. Unless it's a quote of scripture, that is not going to help you get through temptation. What we use to fight temptation as people who believe in Jesus is his word. And the main place that Jesus used to fight this temptation was Deuteronomy, a book that probably many of us have never even read before. I know I was convicted while I was studying this. It's like, man, when I'm going to fight temptation, Deuteronomy is the last place in the Bible that I look to fight with. But I pray that the Holy Spirit right now begins to work in our hearts, that we would have understanding that the word of God is alive and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. That it can cut through bone and marrow, which if you know scientifically is impossible to cut through without laser precision. But that is how sharp and how powerful his word is. That I pray that we as people realize that if we truly want to begin to fight the temptation of this world, the temptation that Satan brings our way, then we fight with the sword of the Spirit. Now, some people are like, yeah, you're really mystical today, Justin. Damn straight I am today. I know that's too hard of a word for you, but it's true. Because God has given us something 
And we are, I think, honestly, it's a temptation and a scheme of the enemy for us to go to other places to look for an ability to fight him. But yet we have been given clear instruction. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I believe he's working in our hearts and I believe he's working in our minds. And what he does is when we hear the word preached, one of the reasons why we gather is so that we can receive faith from the Holy Spirit. And what we need today is faith from the Holy Spirit to go back to the temptation and and realize what Scripture says and say, actually, I can say no to this. Actually, you don't have power. Actually, yes, I may be led here, but I do not have to submit to you. Actually, everything I need to fight this temptation today is in Scripture. And part of being a church, it is not my job for me to read the scripture for you. It's my job to equip you to learn how to read the scripture properly for yourselves. It's not my job to hear God's voice for you. It's my job to help you understand what is the voice of God so that you can hear it for yourself. And too often as an American church, we have relied on the pastor to read the Bible. We have relied on the pastor to study it. We have relied on the pastor to hear God's voice when really what he should be doing is we should be relying on the pastor to teach us how to do these things so that we can go home and live in scripture, live in prayer, live being led by the spirit of God in our lives. And I pray that we have faith in our lives to do that today. Why don't we stand? If you're human, you have come and you've struggled with temptation. And God today is speaking to us how to defeat this. How when it comes to see the twisted lie that it is and be able to say no to it. And what I pray is that during worship right now that we can believe God again. That we can believe what God has said and what he has written. That we have the tool, the sword that we need in order to fight when the enemy comes. That when I go home today, when I, when I go to work during the week, when I go to sleep, when I enter in back home, when I'm with my family, that when temptation comes, because it will, that I do not have to be afraid of this thing anymore. That I do not have to be scared of it. But I can go back empowered to fight it with his word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word to fight with. Lord, that you have not called us to be a passive people that just lets life happen to us. But you have called us to be people who fight, who put on the whole armor of God. Father, I pray that this morning that you would teach us how to use that sword. The word of God. That when temptation comes our way, that we would remember your battle, that we would remember how you fought it in the scriptures that you used, and that you would teach us to fight, just like you would teach a swordsman, 
using your word and the scriptures. In Jesus' name.